the smile definitely hooked me from uh, the very beginning. You know, I love sort of that inherent contradiction that exists within it. The, you know, smiles are obviously designed to be a friendly gesture, something warm. That's what we associate with them. But in reality, I think we also, we use smiles every day to mask what we're really feeling. And uh, that was definitely something that was, you know, um, a, a motif that was running through the film. And I want to see if I could take that and turn it on the head and and kind of let the evil in the film wear a smile as a mask to sort of, you know, create the promise of a threat or something dangerous, something menacing, and see if audiences uh, might, uh, you know, get freaked out by that. For me, you know, for the for the purposes of the story, it was always really important that we don't define it, we don't stick it in any kind of box, because I think that the, you know, the unknown is always much scarier than uh, than when you sort of pull the veil off of it. And, you know, I also love the ambiguity that the that the film is living in. You know, there's there's something really interesting about taking something so internal and psychological and then something so external and and like bombastic and kind of braiding them together until they're kind of indistinguishable. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that will go like the extra distance to get under audiences skins. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod and rate and review wherever you listen. We would appreciate it. This week, big shorts. <laughs> it's Kevin's uh, big shorts week. We're talking about two popular horror movies that began life as uh, popular shorts. Yeah. I mean, coming into the end of the year, I figure we needed to probably talk about the biggest horror movie in terms of box office in Smile, and we'll get to that one later. But first, it, it kind of inspired me to go back and revisit 2016's Lights Out, which was, for me, one of the first horror movies that I had heard about, sort of being inspired and starting from a short film. I'm guessing that there are hundreds that I didn't hear about. But back in 2016, I heard about David F. Sandberg directing a big-budget feature film, his debut, he's a Swedish filmmaker, based on this very short short. Just a couple minutes long, it was really impactful, starred his wife, you can tell that it was very low-budge and just done with a lot of love. So I wanted to revisit this because I hadn't seen it since 2016, since it came out. And so basically it's telling the story of Rebecca and her, her younger stepbrother, uh, Martin, and their mom is not well. And their mom appears to be being haunted or followed by this entity that can only get you if the lights are out. So it's a very literal title. And the short is also named Lights Out, by the way. So basically following the story of Rebecca sort of remembering, I think, in the past that this entity had, had been tormenting her. And now she's away from her not well mother. And she has to sort of re-engage with the family because Martin is now in danger from this entity. Uh, brisk 81 minutes, which I thought was interesting because we have a very short short in Lights Out and then a very short feature film at 81 minutes. And then the movie we'll talk about next, Smile, has a much longer short and then pulls its runtime into almost two hours. 
I actually think that Smile moved quicker than Lights Out. For 81 minutes, this was a bit of a slog. It definitely was a little bit light on the kills and the gore. It's a very well-crafted film. It has some great effects, but heavy on, on just cheap jump scares. I didn't know that James Wan was involved in this. And then as soon as I saw that, it made all the sense in the world as to exactly how this movie unfolded. And then I even thought it was interesting that there are so many elements of this. And if you read on the movie, James Wan, its producer, was like very heavily involved. And I just think like some of the conversations and interviews we've had recently, that was interesting to me because we have a little bit more of a window into that world. And did you guys not think that like malignant? He pulled a bunch of shit that he suggested to Sandberg for Lights Out, and then he just kind of recycled it for Malignant. But either way, it was fun to go back. I I do kind of like the conversation of, you know, just a little indie filmmaker getting that studio money, you know, getting a whopping $5 million budget, pulling in $150 million on this one. Um, And, you know, we'll talk about the numbers for the next movie about Smile. But ultimately, didn't hold up. Um, as I remembered seeing it in 2016. I would agree with that. I think this was jump scare week. I remember thinking this movie was okay when I first saw it. Um, But it's from a trend in horror during this time where you have this black mystery monster that just got done wetting its hair in the bathroom. (laughs) And and this kind of creature, it's very James Wan. I, I think even like... Guillermo del Toro got into some of this kind of stuff in his more commercial stuff, but this really does not work for me, um, this particular kind of creature, because you don't really know why uh, it's indestructible, if it's a demon, if it's a ghost. Uh, I I found all all that ambiguity to be kind uh, kind of cheap. And I also think that 2016, uh, this is a little bit late to the party, for this kind of horror movie. I, I feel like this seems more like an early 2000s to me. Teresa Palmer is beautiful and went on to do some better stuff. Uh, but for me, I wanted more clever tricks with the lights. I watched the short when it first came out. And like you said, it's only four minutes long. But it, it is a very cool premise to scare people. Uh, when the lights are off, it gets you. When the lights are on, uh, it can't. So I thought that that was a great concept and, and you could make a very scary movie based on that and I think that was most of my disappointment with both of these movies is when I heard the concept of both of them my imagination ran wild like wow this has the potential to be really scary and this one definitely fell a little bit short for me uh, the best part for me was clearly uh, the key fob headlights trick when he, when he, he clicked the, the, the thing and made his headlights go on yeah that was great. I wanted more of that kind of stuff. Um, I thought this was kind of a cheap metaphor for mental illness, um, which is commonplace for James Wan. Uh, I basically thought that this existed better as a short or it was just a, a thing where someone took threw a budget at an idea and didn't flesh it out as much as they could have to re- really honor uh, the potential of an idea like this. Um, I think an alternate title for this movie could be The Very Good Boyfriend. Yes. Because he was a very, very good boyfriend. I mean, he was this grizzled, like, drifter-looking guy with, like, the gauged ears and the five o'clock shadow. He's in a band. Hardly ever do you see this kind of character. He reminded me of the character uh, 
that's always doing key bumps in Final Destination. Uh, he's doing the key bumps of cocaine, driving the Camaro around. Uh, very uh, typical 2000s horror character. But in this one, he he comes to her aid, and he's a, he's a great guy. I didn't really like this movie. Uh, and a lot of times, the potential and the hype of movies can ruin it for me. It definitely did with this one. I never heard of this. Um, You'd never seen this? No, no, never even heard of it. Had no idea. Um, first first uh, I've heard, um, I had never heard of the short. I'm amazed at how much money this made. This made a ton. This was like the smile of 2016, right? What was the budget on this? 4.9. Four, $5 million. It made over $100 million, right? Like $150 million or something? $149 million. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What else was out in 2016? I don't know, but like, like Dave said, I this agree. just caught this the wave earlier. Like it caught something. Um, I didn't care for this one. Um, the short. I I watched the short. I thought both of these movies are interesting to me because the shorts. I would not watch those and think, "Wow, this is a feature film," or like, "This is such an amazing idea." Like the short for this, I would. I don't know if I were reviewing shorts for a film festival and I, and I saw the lights out short, I would be like, ah, that was scary, you know, for two minutes, I guess, you know, and she flicks the light like a lot of times. And then, uh, that last shot is scary for sure. I would have probably given it a five out of 10 or maybe a six or seven. I don't know, depending on what the competition was. Um, this, I was not surprised to find that Juan had a hand in this. This is very Juan to me. And very J-horror, like you guys were saying, like earlier, early aughts, I, this reminded me of one of those, you know, after the, when the J-horror boom first hit after Ringu and, and The Grudge and all that, Dark Water and Audition and The Good Ones, there were like hundreds of terrible ones. You, I would rent them and be like, oh my God, this is really bad. It kind of, it's kind of moody, sort of like The Grudge, but not really. Um, this kind of reminded me of an American version of that. Um, I thought the acting was fucking brutal in this. The kid I thought was very good. The little kid outacted everyone in the movie by far. I liked his performance. He's like 10 years old or something. The rest of them, I just felt like it was WB uh, quality acting, um, writing. It just I thought it was painful like the dialogue was painful i i didn't buy the characters i thought the two leads were um this is we've talked i've talked about this before they were like aspiring model hot actors and i that get cast in movies i i think that sometimes casting directors are are just human like us and everybody wants uh good looking people in their movie you have to look at them for an hour and a half you know there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes I feel like in some of these lower budget movies, especially, you get people that are cast, I think, just because they're they're hot. But they're hot in a way that, you know, like a lot of models are like great actors too, you know? They can do both. Mia Goth. Yeah, right. Perfect example. But then a lot of models are just not good actors at all, but they're hot and they get cast in this movie. I just would, I was thinking there must have been other people Maybe they didn't read for it. I don't, you know, I don't know what the process was on a low budget like this. Maybe they didn't have a lot of auditions. I just thought it was bad. Didn't like the story. Didn't think it was scary. The lights on, lights off thing. That got old real fast. Um, by the end of this movie, I, I, to be honest, I was, I was like, I can't believe this is on in my house. Yeah. 
can't believe I'm this is on. Yeah, I got a half an hour to go. Um, not not my cup of tea, but I love any time an indie filmmaker gets a shot and and does a low budget movie and makes a million bucks. That's great. So yeah, it's an. I mean, this week essentially is an is an interesting study in. Like, what do you do? Like, you made a, a four-minute thing, and now someone's throwing money at you. How do you, you know, kind of expand it? And two very different takes, I think, between what Sandberg and then Finn did. But you mentioned the kid. He would go on to star as the new Andy in 2019's Child's Play remake, which I thought you didn't I, mind. I thought it was Trent. not bad like, at all. Thought, no? Yeah, I liked it. Great ending. Uh, I, I didn't really enjoy it, even though you know he's great in that as well, and, and I love Aubrey Plaza. Um, I think both of the movies we're talking about uh, suffer from an an awesome opening sequence. I think the opening sequence of Lights Out is like another short film that Sandberg created, and then it couldn't hold up for the rest of the movie. And like Trent, you threw out WB, Dave, you had texted CW. That kind, it kind of falls into that trap where like there's this amazing opening sequence that is, in in my opinion, truly scary. I agree. I and uh, Lota Lustin, who is Sandberg's wife, she starred in the short, and then right. she has and she's in this. She's in right. the opening sequence. She right. is um, the the stepdad's assistant, and there's just a great in like this weird warehouse, like this textile mill or something, and there's mannequins. Uh, but there's like a super great like five minute opening sequence, and then the rest of the movie struggles until um, what we're watching right now. And the ending sequence it kind of picks things up. Like you get some some cops in there for some cheap kills just to get the body count up. And there there are some you know scary moments. You do get to see a little bit more of the entity Diana. Uh, and then Dave, like you talking about like hating the creature Diana, and. Maria Bello is the she plays the mother that I was talking about. So that's where the like the mental illness aspect comes in. Um, she she has an interview where she thought that Diana could become like on the level of like Freddie and Jason, and that made me like laugh. Well, it, what Trent just did it made me laugh. <laughs> I was like, what? Like how how like how could you possibly get Freddie or Jason out of this entity? I mean, you're talking about two of like the legends, the classics, um, but. But yeah, again, this this is two Wanaverse, and and this is you know before the Wana, you know I, I I had no clue, like I said, that Juan was involved. Um, but maybe if I hadn't read that before watching it, I might have enjoyed it a little bit more. But I read that and then I watched it again, <clears throat> and I was watching it like okay, now I'm watching a James Wan movie. I I read it after, and I still didn't enjoy it anymore. Not yeah, knowing, well, okay. <laughs> I was like, aha, makes sense. Well, the the potential is what got people into the theater. Because, you know, think of how easily both of these movies were to pitch to a production company and also to an audience. We're just like, hey, you want to go see a horror movie? You know, just a, a layman. You want to go to see that new horror movie that came out? Oh, what's it about? Oh, well, the lights go out and the creature gets you when you have to turn the lights on, you know, and it's easy. Yeah. And, uh, or a creepy smile. And that's what got people in in droves. And as a horror fan, it's movies like this that makes me distrust the low-hanging fruit hype machine uh, that Juan is often behind. I'm not going to diss Juan completely because he does have stuff in his catalog that I like, but I do think that he churned out a bunch of stuff that was a little cheap, and this definitely could have been thought through a little bit more. Juan has been a divisive figure on our podcast, I think it's fair to say. 
I'm glad you brought up, Kevin, the opening, because the opening is great, and I forgot about it because I disliked the rest of the movie so much. That opening sequence in the textile factory with, like you said, the star and the wife of the filmmaker and the star of the short, she kind of gets to reprise what she did in the short, but she does it in a different context. It's scary, an old uh, closed down factory at night. She's like the second to last one out. And I really loved that. I'm glad you brought that up because I totally forgot because by the end, I was like, why is this on my house? Uh, and I was mad. So then I forgot that this really did have a great opening. It does It does turn into, I will agree with you guys, it does turn into like an episode of a drama that you would see on the CW or um, whatever other network you mentioned. He, um, he texted me. I can't believe this is on in my house. I was I'm like, thinking that I, and I said, uh, "I bet you'd give anything for a power outage right now." <laughs> lights out, yeah, please, lights out. <laughs> this is it's so, this is sort of like uh, the the equivalent of back when we were kids and you had to buy the whole album for the one song that you liked. This movie is very much like that. Yeah, like, you got the more opening swaggles. track was That's right. fantastic, and then yeah. tracks two through nine were terrible. And then track ten might have been kind of cool. There would be, or there would be like seventeen tracks on it because the CD era, and it would be like seventeen ninety nine for seventeen tracks. They're all bad. I mean, that might be giving this a little too much credit for me. Um, one thing this movie wouldn't stop doing that I that I thought was very cheap and annoying, and I think it's kind of wannish, but. Um, how many times can someone get dragged into the dark in one movie? It's like scary the first one or two times, but then you just it's taking the end of wreck, doing it. take the end of wreck and just over like and find over. out how many, oh, how many times can we recreate the end of wreck? A lot. The opening scene actually reminded me of, um, when we had Sarah Lynn and Travis Stevens on the show, they were talking about session nine and Sarah was talking about the scene down that hallway um, in like an old abandoned warehouse, it reminded me a lot of aesthetically the opening of this in that like textile uh, mill or whatever that was. Uh, but that that movie actually Session Nine does a lot with um, light deprivation and like things get you when the lights go off, and it's it's kind of like uh, a similar concept. But you guys see what I'm saying, like with the malignant connection. Oh, definitely. Like yeah. Juan basically you can you can tell what things Juan worked with Sandberg on in developing the story. There's like the mental asylum, there's the tapes, and there's oh, the like tapes. the creature. <laughs> I mean basically this creature just, you know, wasn't, you know, a tumor in the back of your head that came I mean, all of it was like I, I couldn't believe it when I went back and watched this, having just recently talked about Malignant and and like, wow, like Juan you know, he tried to he tried to pass malignant, and I like malignant. Like, I think it's fun. I think it's a good time. Yeah, sure. But I can't believe that he, like, in his interviews and everything for this, was like, "Oh, I'm just I'm I'm just doing my big, great, huge original horror movie." You just took a bunch of ideas from Lights Out that obviously you probably came up with with Sandberg, and you made malignant. Now, maybe I missed this. Maybe it was like she had a light sensitivity or something. But why was it that she disappears in the light? And wh- well, why it's sort was of that? like a, it's sort of like a, um, like, like, did you ever see Wes Craven's Shocker? Long time ago. So it's basically when Diana was younger with, with the mom and the mom was younger, they were at the same uh, institution and she had a rare skin condition that made her super sensitive to light. So that's why right. like they show her like with like the umbrella and this doctor decided that he had like this experimental therapy and he basically right. like shocked her to death. 
that's where it really went wrong for me. Like you have this scary creature that only you can see in the dark. And and so you do that gag a bunch of times. And, and I liked that, okay, this creature is actually mom's imaginary friend. Mom is having some tough mental times. That, was, lost that, her husband. that was a cool angle. Like you, the, the kid that has was like cool. the imaginary friend. Yeah, I liked that the mom is talking to this imaginary friend. It turns out to be dirty Diana, which I also couldn't stop thinking of the whole time. Um, but then out of nowhere now, very wan, and this was, I, from what I understand, this was his idea. Now, oh, okay, there's a whole story. Ah, when she was in the mental institution, there was a girl named Diana and her mom and the light and the experiments. And like you said, Kevin, you're listening to the tapes. And I was like, this is, I was just and, uh, and gobbledygook. And then they throw like the mental, like you mentioned that Juan likes to dabble in like mental health. So they don't really, they, they, they tell you how Diana dies, but they don't tell you like, that's why I say like Wes Craven's shocker, like where did she go? And now they're trying to say that anytime Maria Bello's character is mentally unwell, Diana comes back. So when like Maria Bello is happy, Diana's not there. But when she's not, apparently when you turn the lights out, Diana is there. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty poorly explained. I, I also have had, I've had it with the little kid disturbing drawings. <laughs> I worked in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, or yeah, when, I don't yeah, remember the yeah. first time it was done, but uh, it's it's really been done to death. And maybe the, was it The Exorcist when that first came up? But that's an early uh, trope. That I mean, even um, is it the, the the Changeling with Donald Pleasance? Right, right. Is that Donald Pleasance? No, yep. that's um, all I remember. That is the ball. Who's the star of the Changeling? It's Donald. No, it's not Donald Pleasance. It's, it's uh, Sutherland. Old no, guy, I, old bald guy. We should know it. Maybe yeah, it is pleasant. Right. But in the changeling, they have the whole thing where they're channeling. It's not even a kid drawing, but they're channeling the the spirit, and somebody draws like I think they have a blind guy or something like drawing the thing. That's yeah, time George tested. George C. Scott. George C. Scott. That's what I'm thinking of. I, I apologize. You know, this uh, week was more of a study. You know, in the spirit of uh, some of the you know filmmakers that we've been talking to, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go back to a couple. Movies that uh, made huge money and about, sort of kept the, the genre going off of these weird little shorts that they did. Well, um, I yeah, just, yeah. And I, and I consider it a victory. As much as I didn't personally like it, I consider it a victory for indie filmmakers' shoestring budget. The, the short was shot with two people. I think the crew was the filmmaker and his wife, right? Wasn't that the whole crew? And, and I read down through, like, they didn't have that much gear. They made that, and... They got so many offers that they were um, besieged from, in my understanding, they were besieged with offers because of the success the short had on the film festival circuit. And that's like the dream. That's great. And they got to make a, a, a feature and it made a zillion bucks. And what do you guys think about the ending? I kind of thought that the the ending, I, I appreciated the balls of the ending. Um, I also thought it was like, why did we have to just do all that? You know the what? What was the point of the whole thing? If that's all that needed to happen, uh, I mean, we can spoil this, right? It's, I don't. I mean, I we I don't mean, think we have not. to. I think. Did I you think, think the ending was good? Let me ask you. I'm I, asking the question. I do. What did you think of the ending? I do. I do think it's good. You like the ending? Yeah, I, I think that that. I mean, I don't necessarily. I'm not saying that the 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 trip there was worth it, but that's why I'm saying like. This is the the album that you buy for like the one song, and you get a couple that are good. I think the last like that was the good one at the end. Yeah, yeah, like you always get like that like ballad or that weird song at the end or something. Like, did you, know, you like oh, the ending? I, 
I did not. I thought um, that both movies uh, showed very inept uh, thera- therapists. I mean, like all you need. I mean, maybe she could have seen the therapist before she. Well, went this to that. Was, was there. There wasn't a therapist in this one, though, was there? Maybe there should have been. Maybe there. That's the yeah. lesson. Maybe there should have been a little more therapy in this one. Uh, I I thought at least the ending had some had some balls to it. Didn't yeah, and I think that she was alluding to it, like in some of the scenes, like like what you said, like that Diana was her imaginary friend. She does kind of it, it gets a little heavy-handed but there's like three four five times where she does say i told you don't touch my children just leave my children alone so they're kind of like cheaply leading up to it right i do still think for a movie of this caliber um and sort of to keep coming back to like the cw vibe that was ballsy yeah ba- i agree ba- only ballsy because you just had to watch like an episode multiple episodes kind of, of dawson's creek yeah. and then you were like whoa that happened i think it could it's also i don't know felt like it was a little bit of a cop-out not not totally not dissimilar from the smile ending i think these movies have obviously more similarities than just the way that they happened there are they have a lot in common i think smile does it all way better than this one, but there are a lot of similarities there. I wonder if uh, I wonder if anybody's watching Smile right now that was involved in in this movie, thinking, "Ah, oh, yeah, we already did that." Well, I think there's a lot of people watching Smile involved in a lot of different movies. <laughs> well, yeah, that are well, thinking, when you we when are, you use every gag from that. every horror movie ever made, I guess maybe some people would think that. <laughs> I blame the wet look. All right, as we've already alluded to, our second film based on a short film is the biggest, I think, grossing horror movie of 2022. Coming out of nowhere is Parker Finn's Smile. So this was based on a short film that he did, (coughs) excuse me, called Laura Hasn't Slept. Bit longer, like we mentioned, than Lights Out. This is like a 14-minute short um, and then Finn did the opposite of Sandberg. He stretched his 14-minute film out to almost two hours. However, somehow this movie moves along more briskly and actually maybe feels shorter. So this tells the story of Rose, who is played by Sosie Bacon, who I had never... I did not know that she was the daughter of Kevin Bacon either. and Kira Sedgwick. No I had just watched The Mayor of Easttown, and she has, albeit a, a small in terms of like uh, the amount of scenes that she's in role in that series, but it's very impactful and very important to the storyline. And she's fantastic in that. She murders this role. She is absolutely fantastic. But Rose is a mental health specialist. And after watching a patient of hers kill herself, uh, finds herself inflicted and followed, uh, a la It Follows, by this entity where she will look and see people smiling in very creepy ways. Um, and basically, as her, her journey through this goes on, it's getting closer and closer to her and will eventually kill her. Um, this, again, like the last movie, is very heavy on mental health. And 
you know, puts you in, you know, from the perspective of Rose as being like a very unreliable narrator. Nobody around her will listen to her. They won't trust her. Um, just like the the way too good boyfriend from Lights Out, she really only has one person sort of believing her and helping her in this movie. Um, I think that uh, this one is interesting because uh, I had no interest in this when it came out. And it's funny, like, we usually talk about, like, all the big horror events of the year. And I don't remember talking to you guys about this one all that much. This was a dark horse out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, to me, like, the marketing, uh, it just, it, I thought it was just going to be, like, like Ouija or, you know, one of these PG-13, um, you know, teen horror movies just trying to get, you know, 14 to 17-year-olds in the seats. So I didn't pay attention to this. Wait, you said it wasn't that? I thought it was. Well, I, was. I, don't, I don't think it was. I think that uh, what Parker Finn pulled off here and particularly on the shoulders of Sosie Bacon and really the Scream King launching himself up the ladder, Kyle Gallner, um, I think that what what uh, what Smile gave us was a lot more than just your typical popcorn horror movie experience. I, I actually really, really enjoyed this one. I think this is a great, I would call this a um, blue-collar, workaday, broad audience, multiplex horror movie out of nowhere. I mean, this this is movie came, I remember when the trailer came out to this movie and I saw the trailer and I thought, hey, it looks like a cheesy horror movie that nobody will probably see or remember after it's gone. We already had all these franchise movies that were out in the, previous to this this year. We had Scream. We had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, nope was already being huge. Barbarian. I mean, Barbarian was supposed to be the the little engine that could that came out of nowhere and and took the box office by storm. And then here comes this movie Smile, which I thought looked like nothing, was based on, I didn't know about the short at all, um, and became, and, and I understand why it was a box office bonanza, because to me, this does all the things that your, you know, broad audience person going to a horror movie would want to see. It, it brings out every gag in the book twice Everything is done in this, and I think it works. I think it's it's great, and I think, like you said, Kevin, I think it does all of that with a little flair. I think it does all of that, and it gives it a little something. I thought the performances, particularly the, the lead performance, was really, really good. It reminded me actually a lot of Unsane. I don't know if you guys ever saw Unsane, the um, Soderbergh movie was shot on the iPhone, um, and that was takes place in, I don't know if it's just the clinical setting and the female lead, but that also deals with this unreliable narration and wondering what's real and what's mental illness. Um, I was held all the way two hours through. I like the weird, the way the close-ups are shot in this. There's a lot of like the way the faces are shot close up. It's kind of something unsettling about it. I thought the whole thing was unsettling. I thought it created a great mood. I thought that even once it got into kind of like the detective story, I liked that. Um, Kyle, a lot of gall. Nur. And I thought he was very good in this. Um, did, you know, if, if somebody's going to come out of nowhere based on a short, which Laura hasn't slept is the short, and that's on YouTube. You can watch that. Both of these shorts you can watch on YouTube. I didn't think, I thought that short was very good. I would have rated that if I was rating shorts. That would have gotten to like a seven or eight for me, probably. Um, to, I, I to mean, compared to the stuff that we've seen 
when because yeah. we have we have been on seen panels. a lot of shorts. Yeah, that would uh, only be a seven or an eight, huh? Uh, for me, that was a seven or an eight, um, just because of the production quality. Mostly, not not that it was like some you know, it's just kind of a uh, a dream experience or something it seems like um I, you had face peeling you had brutal stabbings that stabbing scene oh my god with carl you know ah so good um if it, if anything is going to come out of nowhere and dominate a horror box office for the mainstream and for the masses i would want it to be smile and not a lot of other shit that makes a lot of money like lights out unfortunately like a lot of stuff that we talk about that i don't really care for to me, this this is a, a a broad audience horror movie that delivers the goods that we can be proud. I think that came out of nowhere and and took the year over. I I don't understand how you say this came out of nowhere because to me this was the most promoted horror movie I had seen in quite some time. Maybe you got it confused with the Tom York project, The Smile. No, no, this and, oh, and every time you saw it, you thought I didn't, that it was. I didn't see. I saw a milk toast trailer. I know they sent some people to like MLB games, which is so bizarre to me. Like marketed to like, what like 60 year old good men morning america who, or something. who don't go to I'm movies like, that was a weird thing well that that those those type of promotional things make me distrust it and i was the first person to see this of all of us um i got kevin's paramount plus uh password and immediately went right in and watched it and sent a unfavorable review to uh, our group thread um and then the, these guys liked it so um I feel like I need to defend why I didn't like it. Um, and the you last few years, horror has taken a sharp, refreshing turn towards originality. So many unique voices and individual styles of filmmaking that really raise the bar. Even some of the guys that have been doing it for a while, like Ty West and James Wan, tried to change up their, their recipes a little bit over the last few years. And this movie left me a little disappointed at how formulaic it was. I thought the acting was not great. Uh, but more than that, I felt like the dynamic between the characters was was kind of unnatural. I, I will, yeah. I, I, well, and I'm not going to say that uh, Sosie Bacon did a bad job acting, uh, but I think it was maybe the writing. Like, she wasn't erratic enough to be a good victim. She wasn't clever enough to be, like, an effective horror sleuth, like in the ring. She wasn't strong enough to make me cheer her on. She was just a bland, mildly distressed psychiatrist that didn't seem to know much about mental illness. Um, I, do sometime, I do sometimes enjoy a generic horror movie, uh, like Drag Me to Hell or something like that, but I felt like this didn't come off as a stylistic choice, but a lack of imagination. And I know it's, you know, is this his first horror movie, Parker Finn? Yeah, both of these that we're talking about. Well, there, besides for the it, short. Yeah it's, yeah, it's his feature debut. And as far as the curse or whatever, I, my only question is just why? You know, both of these movies, uh, I felt like they put very little into explaining exactly what was happening and why it was happening. Um, you know, give me some theology, give me something, or give me nothing. You know, like, if you say absolutely nothing about it and there's just this thing that's happening, that's fine. But to get into a little bit and then not really... Uh, go into why it's all happening kind of disappointed me um i think it's not even needed to say that this is like it follows and the ring everyone who's ever talked about this movie says it's like those movies um but i don't know i i just think with the output of horror 
uh, in this time right now, this just felt very late to the party, very um, just like a throwback to something that had been done. You're out of touch, man. You are out of touch with the populist. The man on the street <laughs> just wants to go out to the to the multiplex and see something scary and something good. I I understand. I'd yeah. I'd recommend this to my my teenage daughter and her yeah. friends to go see. <laughs> it is a very basic horror movie, but they do so many. Like, look at this. This is straight. But that's a cool that's a cool drone shot. That yeah, I thought straight out of Midsummer. No, the drone that's shots in this the, I thought were the cool. Same thing. They go upside down and backwards, you know. And, and also like some of the like the weird. Uh, I think they're called Dutch angles, which is like an off-center angle all the time. Um, I I don't know. It just to me, it seemed it had a cheapness to it that uh, really turned me off. Dutch I feel, angles. I, I, I feel <laughs> Dutch angles. <laughs> I feel the exact opposite. I think everything that you just said is why this movie worked, and what Trent said, like it checks all the. I think it's. Just good enough for like a horror hardcore person to enjoy, yeah, huh. and can appeal all the way down to your teenage daughter. I think that's a good thing. I mean, Paramount threw seventeen mil at this, and it pulled in over two hundred million dollars. Crazy. And I will say, Dave, I, I, when I was watching this for the first time, uh, my daughter, my teenage daughter, was in the room, and. I was like, man, I, I just feel like I never heard anything about this movie, but it made so much money. And she was like, oh, dad, like this was everywhere. Yeah. So I think they were marketing it mostly to teenagers. She's I, I like think TikTok it was, and like no, the, see, I, the I disagree with people that. behind I think that, home plate, like at baseball games, like yeah, you but mentioned. Yeah, but that's, that's like, not, nobody sees that. Nobody watches baseball. But it Come gets on, you I hardly ever watch baseball. It gets no, you talking about it. I disagree. I don't think it had anything. I think this is an important point on the movie. I don't think it had anything to do with some big marketing campaign. I think that people responded people on the street who wanted to go to the movies on the weekend and see a horror movie Word and there wasn't mouth. maybe a lot out. Maybe Nope is a little over their head and they just want to go see a movie and they all said, wow, they all told their friends, go see Smile, go see Smile, go see Smile. That's the highest compliment a movie can get is when everybody recruits everybody and then you ha I think that's why it's big. I also think the trailer was really smart because the trailer um, could get your, like you mentioned, Dave, like it could get your imagination racing. So I, when I watched the trailer, you know, like I said, I, I completely avoided this movie because I was like, ah, whatever. But now that I think about it, when I watch the trailer, it does a good job of like getting you thinking about what it could be about. Because it doesn't give away. It's not one of those trailers that like lays the entire movie out for you. It just sort of like lets you know, well, there's some weird fucking creepy people smiling. It yeah. doesn't overdo it. It sort of, it does let you go into the theater or into your viewing experience and say, this could be like any one of like a thousand things well you know we talk we often compare this to music we just compared the last one to a, a record that has like one good song on it and to me this was a thing that i had built up i saw great potential for this i think it could have been way better do you guys not think it could have been better I think, um, no, I think I, it think was I just went into it, it with different expectations than you because I did not, I was not caught up in like the marketing craze i had absolutely no idea and then your uh, quick, you know, two sentence review on our text thread uh, e even lowered the bar for me. And so when I went in and watched it, I was like, "Wow, that's a lot better than I expected." Well, yeah, and like Trent said, it's it's really well shot. I would disagree with you, Dave, on the acting. I actually think that it's very well acted um, in just about every role. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's. I don't know. I don't. May, maybe I. 
again, maybe I went in like this is just going to be stupid, cheesy, teen uh, horror movie. And I was just pleasantly surprised that that I thought it was deeper than that. And I also think this has a ballsy ending just like Great. Out. Loved the ending to this. It really holds the the courage of its convictions. I, I want to talk about that later. But as far as the acting, I would agree with Dave on one thing. The romantic relationship at the center of this did not buy for once. I can't believe that these people even know each other, let alone are engaged to be married. They're supposed to be engaged to be married, and you get the feeling that they just met before the cameras roll. There's zero chemistry. I have more chemistry with an eggplant than, you know, these guys. I bet you do. There's nothing. (laughs) There's nothing between them. What It just doesn't seem like. They're not an engaged couple. Well, at also all. her sister. Zero. I, people around her are so dismissive. Oh, uh, this the dinner scene. Okay, so there's, and this is, I think, uh, uh, this, but I'm maybe getting too high on it. I do want to talk about the dinner scene with the sister and the, and the brother in law. It is stilted. It is awkward. That is not well, I don't think it's well written. I don't think it's well performed, but it's there to serve a very workmanlike purpose to set up the family dynamic and it does that it's to not say pretty that nobody's it's supporting not, her nobody yeah. is going to say that this is a great scene of, of acting yeah. but these people suck hey, and they're not going to help it's, rose right it's well, setting up i don't expect uh, amazing acting out of horror i don't expect amazing uh chemistry between characters i mean but this is not a lloyd kaufman film this is a seventeen million dollar Paramount that's movie. Still low budget to me. Low and, and that's did you and say seventeen million? That that's a low. I mean, in two thousand and twenty-two, that's a low budget. And this was supposed to just go straight to Paramount. And the reason that this was even theatrically released was because of the audience test responses. It's they said, "Wow, story. everybody likes this. Yeah. Let's put it out." Yeah, these movies are honestly like they're more fun to talk about, like how they came into being, and what they created not just like financially but sort of like grassroots and yeah this paramount was like yeah you're you're short at south by don't so it to streaming it was, no it was, big, you know it was going to show at south hit. by southwest and then south by southwest got canceled because of covid and then the short leaked and people were watching it so parker finn actually had to go in and edit the file to have his email address and then he had all these executives coming to see him so they were like, okay, Paramount was like, we'll pick you up. We'll put you on Paramount Plus for streaming. Right. But he made the movie. They went and did a screening, and it was testing like off the charts right. for not just a horror movie, but like any movie. And all these executives got involved, and they basically did another screening to which he was shitting his pants. It's funny. There's a, a great podcast you can check out um, where Zach Kreger of Barbarian is interviewing uh, Parker Finn. In front of a live audience. It's really, it's a great conversation. Um, And then the second screening went even better. And Paramount was like, hey, we're going to take a chance on this in the theaters. And then boom. Um, I love, I love shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It follows. (laughs) I I do want to say also, it follows is the new great movie that many lesser movies are compared to all, all of a sudden because that movie is so good you guys pinned it follows no i liked it i love it, I liked it, it you turned around a little bit on it i didn't pin um, it. i love that movie that's a movie that now every, everything gets compared to i love it falls this is no it follows but there are certain dynamics and, and similarities sure and also with the ring well there was some there was things i i like the ring i think i would still like it if i watched it now even though it might be a little bit dated yeah. but um it follows 
the thing that uh, turned me on that was that it was based on a dream sequence and all the things that were revealed that to me were like, oh, there's no continuity to this movie. Like, what era is this? What season is it? That stuff is what made me like it more when I saw it the second time. This one, I went through and watched it a second time and there was nothing, there's no more layers. It's, it's very simple and I'm, and I'm not going to say... I hated it. I just didn't like it as compared to the hype around the movie and the, the reception that the movie got. I, I thought a lot of it, though, is very dreamy. To me, there are a lot of scenes that it's unclear, even after the movie, what's real and what isn't, what's a figment of her imagination, what's a dream, because you're you're going back and forth. Eventually, with, with her, you're going back and forth between dreams. There's that great scene with her therapist when... Ah, later in the movie when that goes wrong. I love, and again, this does every gag. I love when someone's talking on the phone in the horror movie and whether they're talking to 911 or their dad or somebody who's going to help them. And it turns out that they're talking to the the evil being. Oh my God, because then the other person shows up Oh man! I mean, that's great. It's yeah, they do that twice. Scary. They do it like once with like the alarm company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I thought it's good. And, and I've listened to some other takes on this movie, and I've heard a couple that said that the therapist scene, when her therapist shows up at her house unannounced, yeah, yeah. that that cheapened the movie for them. Wow, I loved it. I thought that that like that took it up a notch for me. Like, yeah, I thought that was amazing. Good. Yeah, uh, that was scary. Yeah, I yeah, I, and and again, I'll go back. It's it's a really good. Th- it's a very strong third act. I love. I think the it's third a act. very. It's, again, an hour and fifty something minutes, and I know I'm always the guy that's like, you know, can you keep it to ninety? Um, but again, like Dave and I talked earlier, like this felt pretty brisk. I do think there are some sequences that um, he was getting a little bit too. Like kid in a candy store, I'm making my first feature debut with a $17 million budget, so let me get all these shots in. I think there were ways to shorten this up a bit. Um, and the third act, I think, it does get a little bit um, long, but I think the payoff uh, more than makes up for the journey to get there. Well, I, I think one of the reasons the third act seems long is because, and it is long, I guess, but I, I love how this movie... Uh, stacks up a bunch of like false endings that this movie could have gone any number of ways and the movie sort of just does all the ways kind of finds a way to show you all the different endings that could have been and so you're just kind of on your heels through the whole third act like is this the end nope okay is this the end and they're all sort of different scenarios and then it finally settles on a final end and i love the final end i thought it showed a lot of courage is is especially for but, you know, th- this wasn't, you didn't know it was going to be a blockbuster at the time, but especially for a movie that turned out to be so popular, I love the ending. You didn't get Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson embracing, you You didn't get anything that was going to give you any sort of uh, good feeling, nothing was wrapped up. I thought that took a lot of courage to have that be the end, and I really I appreciated it. I, I did like the end, I, although I wouldn't say it takes that much courage to just set yourself up for a sequel or a franchise. <laughs> well, but sure. I was telling Kevin that I, I thought the end of this, uh, the Hellraiser remake, the last scene of that almost got me to like the rest of the movie because it re- kind of redeemed itself in that last over-the-top scene. Turns out it didn't. But this one, I, I would say I had given up on this movie a little bit. I was a little bit disappointed in it. And then that last scene did take me from maybe like 
a five or a six out of ten to maybe a seven. It's fair. I mean, a lot, lot of big guns involved in this. I mean, you guys talked about her, her useless fiancé, and I will agree, there's no chemistry there. None. Uh, which I was shocked, because uh, do you guys watch The Boys on Amazon Prime? I'm aware I'm familiar, of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, so it's Jesse T. Usher. He plays a character called A-Train on The Boys. Um, he actually, if you want to start episode one of a series... Uh, it's one of the most amazing opening scenes of any TV show, and and uh, Jesse T. Usher uh, and A Train is part of that. Um, and then you know you had like, yeah, Wick Godfrey producing this, like who did the Twilight series, the Maze Runner series, uh, the, the Martyrs remake, which I may never forgive anyone for. Say no more. Um, you know, you had a lot of big people involved. I mean, you had Rob Morgan as uh, the the survivor, the only survivor of this entity that she goes and visits in, in prison. Uh, this guy's a legend. Um, you know, most recently Stranger Things, but I mean, look up his you know Wikipedia and his filmography. You also have Cal Penn just showing up in this movie randomly. Um, you know, it's it, it, when you start to talk about all the characters. I guess I am starting to pull threads here. Um, it is a little bit unevenly paced in terms of like character development. He really does rely on Sosie Bacon to carry an entire flick, and that can be tough um, for anybody. Um, but I mean, so many people behind this movie that you know, I'm not surprised that it turned out, you know, in my opinion, so well. And, and, and no sequel talk. No sequel talk. You make. Oh, I think oh, there's been yeah, some there. sequel talk. Really? I think. So. There's got to be a. I know that Parker Finn has said that is not his intention, right? And he just he wanted to make this movie, but I mean, well, that that. So my pitch is, Kyle Gallner, let him be the lead. Yeah, well, he Do would a sequel. Be, let him he be the would lead. Be the lead of the next one. Yeah. He's earned it. The guy's I, a horror legend at this I'd point. Go. I would. Check I, I had no problem with the the pacing of this movie. I actually no. didn't know it was two hours until you said it was. Yeah, I thought I, when it was I watched five. it yesterday, I was like, wow, that that really goes by quickly, and. Maybe if they did do a sequel, they could get into some of the stuff where they explain why people are smiling. You know what I mean? I would love that. That birthday party scene. When she goes to her sister's birthday party. Oh, my God. That's a great scene. That is. It is. It's grotesque. It's scary. It really. You wonder what the hell's going on at that point. That's good. So well, that reminds me of uh, Drag Me to Hell in that way where the girl is trying to like live a normal life every day and like attend these functions like I have to go yeah. to be my in-laws I need to do whatever and you still have to kind of try to keep this entity at bay and show up at the birthday party or whatever <laughs> well I think I, Trent that's a great point I think that's what makes this movie better I think Lights Out was like I got a great idea and I gotta get to the end here yeah and let's just do a bunch of bull slow bullshit in the middle this one is a, a, a series of really good entertaining scenes. Yeah. You know, you go like like here, you know, we're 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 before the birthday party scene here, but this directly involves what happens at the at the birthday party that, scene. And yes. again, it's a different type of tension. So I think he did a good job, you know, being like, all right, I gotta keep you entertained and I have to have sort of like you know, a hook in every scene. That's that's one of the things I loved about it is I thought that it followed its own setup, so to speak. Uh, the the opening scene when the patient comes in, who is the star of the short, Laura hasn't slept. She still she kind of plays her same role from the short into this, just like we talked about. Lights out. That first scene when she tells 
what's happened to her. She tells the whole story of what this curse is and what happens. It's laid out so perfectly. Every single thing she says, every word happens in the movie. It's all laying out in the opening thing. I thought that was very skillful once you're done with the movie, especially when you watch it again and you realize that everything said in that scene, that's telling you the entire movie and it sticks to it. I thought that showed a lot of attention to detail just in like in the screenplay. Uh, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the text message group thread and all that stuff. This last week, I got quite an indecent proposal uh, from Trent that said, I will suck your dick to the root if you stay on the mic for an entire episode without getting off the mic. That wasn't I on just the want you to take though. a look over here. I know. Well, take a look. Uh, uh, look at those waveforms. That's because wow. I know because I got you up. Somebody's smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling. That's because I got you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you tricked me. I never know. I never know where to be. <laughs> that wasn't on the thread, by the way. That was, oh, that's even grosser. There's just a personal text <laughs> message. It's just a personal text message that I would suck your dick to the root. Restraining order. <laughs> that, was, that was one of your great lines. You, you know what that line? You know that's your line, right? Oh, that's my line. I will suck your, your dick to the root. Well, I feel like yeah. I mean, you didn't I, recognize I, that line. I don't have much leverage in this world, so I mean, that, I, I, this sounds like something that's, I would say. You said, Craig, I will suck your <laughs> dick to the root. If you will not ask me, John, and Trent all separately if we're ready before every song. You just said that. <laughs> I, that was probably on stage. It <laughs> no, it was on stage. Oh. I'm going to butcher this, but Cristobal Tapie de Vere did the music, and I thought that uh, one of the really key things about Smile um, that had a hands-up you know, hands over Lights Out is the score. I thought yeah. sort of like, you know, to score a movie like this, um, and I think it's in the Kreger interview with Parker Finn where he's talking about how he was obsessed with this guy and doing the music, and they were doing it in real time. So he was like scoring the movie as it was like happening. Wow. So, you know, I guess like a lot of times, you know, you just grab, I think we talked about it in a movie that we discussed recently where like you're just pulling in like stock music. Uh, that you can find, uh, but this is a hundred percent original score by this Cristobal Atapi de Vere, and he did. Uh, we talked about Girl with All the Gifts. He scored that, oh, and wow. he scored huh. the Black Mirror episode, Black Museum. Uh, both of those uh, directed by Colm McCarthy. And I don't know if you guys have seen or heard about all of the hype uh, with the White Lotus. But yeah, he does, a lot of he, I love the White Lotus. He does all the music for that, apparently. Oh, the soundtrack well. was amazing to this. Huh. Yes, the score of this is, is huge. The effects, amalgamated dynamics effects, founded by Stan Winston. Oh, um, so okay. I liked the effects a lot in this. Parker Finn talks a lot about how they tried to keep as much as possible to be practical. The giant monster at the end? That was great. It's so good. That's classic. So good. Yeah. I kind of wish... When I talked about like at the end of Lights Out, you do get to see a little bit more of Diana the monster, uh, but still not quite not enough. enough. Yeah. This one, you get like yeah. a full reveal oh, and then man. a re-reveal and then some face ripping. Like it's it's really really well quite done. Quite a bit of good face peeling when the monster opens up up someone's mouth and crawls into. The, I mean, that's all. That's prime stuff to me. That's good old blockbuster horror stuff. And then I just want a, a Kyle Gallner appreciation uh, message. I just can't believe how many things he's been in in our genre. But, I mean, you're talking like The Haunting in Connecticut, Jennifer's Body, Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, Red State, The Cleansing Hour, which I don't know if you guys have checked out on Shudder, but that's yep. a pretty fun time. 
Scream 5, and then upcoming, he has a movie called The Passenger, directed by Carter Smith, who directed The Ruins, which I picked as one of my most underappreciated movies. Mm -hmm. And I think that Perkins pointed out that Carter Smith is from Maine. Have you guys like started making your uh, top 10 lists for the year or top five? I mean, we're there's so many, get to be honest. There's so many. You haven't thought about like even a top five or anything? Top five. I, I would say five. Ten's, ten's a little bit much. Ten's tough, isn't it? Ten's tough. Because after you get like you can do five, but then after five, it's like there's been so many great movies. What's better than another? It's kind of hard to decide, you know? Yeah, but I mean, and, and but you guys have also just given me some things I need to watch. I need to watch. There's still, I'm uh, still trying to catch up. I need to watch something in the yeah. dirt. Uh, I'm I'm still struggling between X and Barbarian. For, for number your number one. one, what about you, Dave? You, I thought Barbarian had Barbarian's up there. Um, I think it would probably be something more like uh, Speak No Evil. That'd be my number um, three. I actually that would be really like uh, The Watcher. Yeah, which I'm always yeah. complaining about how many things uh, share titles. And well, it's just year, Watcher. Three movies. The, the one you're talking about is just Watcher. Okay, no, there's, no the... there's two movies. There's a series called The Watcher. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. another movie called The, that looks the good. Watcher, and there's a movie called The Watch. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the Watcher show. Don't don't waste your time. No. Oh, I thought it looked pretty good. I don't have time for shows. I don't know how you guys see these things. I, I'm up to my, you know, in all these movies we have to talk about every week. I don't know where you guys. Yeah, I I, I also think that Pearl would yeah, probably sneak into my top five at this point. Top five? Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. be. I don't. Th- I don't know that Pearl would be in my ten. The only reason I ask is because I don't know what we're doing next week. So this is. Uh, I'm just filling time. We haven't really decided about next week. We weren't supposed to do this episode. This is only happening. I ruined the Christmas vacation and the bonuses and everything when I deleted the. Uh, the uh, Blob and uh, Night of the Creeps episode, so we haven't talked about next week at all. Well, there's so many, so many movies that came out this year that I forget some of them. That I came know out earlier in the year. Yeah, that's why that I'm saying ten's hard. Like I'd have to like, go hard. back into like a time machine. I and, keep like, getting really reminded, do... like, oh, the sadness that was awesome. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. yeah, the innocence. What Josiah saw. The innocence. The innocence. Oh. Uh, yeah, what Josiah. Yeah, this is fresh. 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 That was an early one. That was great. Yeah, this is a time. I mean, Scream came out this year. Right. Yeah. Bodies, All right, well, Bodies, Bodies. I haven't I loved, seen that yet. You got to see that. that That's one. a great I one. I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies might be in my 10 when I finish. Bones and All, Crimes of the Future. Bones and All, number uh, one for so me. so many good ones. Yeah. Still catching up. I've heard great things about The Harbinger. I haven't seen that, but- Hey, That's look, getting some love. Look, these movies get made because movies that we're talking about tonight make- $150 million more than their budget. Right. And then you know what? Someone will say, you want to make bodies, bodies, bodies? Go make bodies, right. bodies, Maybe bodies. it'll make $150 million. Who knows? And at the very <laughs> least, we'll make our money back. Yeah. Next week, we're talking about another movie from this year in Resurrection, starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. Resurrection is now on Shudder or limited VOD or Prime with AMC add-on. We're also talking about a movie from 2012 called Chained, starring Vincent D'Onofrio that is free on Tubi or on VOD.